0: You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. The Free Church for most of, in fact, for all of the 20th century, sang only a cappella psalms. And when we were discussing whether we would, as well as that, sing hymns and spiritual songs... Uh, I found a book from 1872, which I've got a copy of there, and it is the Free Church Hymn Book from 1872, and it has several hymns by Horatius Boner, and that particular one I heard the voice of Jesus say. It's just uh, an incredibly beautiful song that expresses the desire, and those of you who know the story of Boner uh, and his brother Andrew, who was in Coles in Perthshire, Horatius was a minister down in the Borders. Uh, that Horatius Boner himself uh, had quite an extraordinary experience of walking with God. Uh, He was uh, also a moderator uh, of the free church, but there's a depth in his uh, spiritual walk that's reflected in his hymns. And so it's great to be able to sing that. Now we are going to turn to one of the songs of the Bible, Psalm 61. And when we do communion, I tend to be working through the Psalms. And we're at Psalm 61, page 578. Let me read, first of all, the whole psalm. For the director of music with stringed instruments of David, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. I long to dwell in your tent forever and take refuge in the shelter of your wings, Selah. For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations. May he be enthroned in God's presence forever. Appoint your love and faithfulness to protect him. Then will I ever sing praise to your name and fulfill my, ba- my vows, day day. After day. This psalm is like many of the psalms, just a very simple thing that if you grasp this, it will make an enormous difference to your life if you're a Christian. It begins with prayer and it ends with praise. That is such a pattern and a, a sequence for the Christian life. And it's why prayer is so important. Too many of us, I think, want to just go straight. We want the praise bit, but the prayer. And it's a prayer that in this instance comes again out of difficulty for David. And so he cries, hear my cry, O God. It's a prayer that is with passion. I call to you my cry. Calvin says, by using the term cry, he would intimate the vehemency of his desire. And it is a word which expresses inward fervency of spirit without reference to the fact whether he have, may have prayed aloud or in a low and subdued tone. Sometimes we might read something like cry or we're saying praying with passion and people think, well, oh, that's somebody who prays really loudly or really excitedly. That could be true. But the, the emphasis is, that it's a cry that comes from the heart. And sometimes, is it not the case that our prayers are very wooden, that they're very shallow, that we're wanting to get on with something else? And sometimes God has to lay us low in order for us to truly and fervently cry to him. So... That's what David does, and I think we can learn a great deal about prayer in this psalm. And I want to look at the three things that verses 2 to 3 talks about prayer for security. Verses 4 and 5, prayer for fellowship. And verses 6 and 7 talks about prayer for God's kingdom. Or if you like, I like alliteration, verses 2 and 3 is the tower. Verses 4 and 5, the tent. Verses 6 and 7, the throne. So, prayer for security I call as my heart grows faint. Now the circumstances of this are that David is, this is almost certainly, the cert- most scholars, and you can ask Will about this, uh, most scholars reckon, Old Testament scholars, reckon that this was when David was, had been chased away from his home by his son Absalom. Absalom. So when he's using the phrase, from the ends of the earth I call to you, he doesn't mean that he's gone to the Western Isles or uh, New Zealand or somewhere. He is talking about his experience of being far away from home. And in that sense, it's also a picture of feeling far away from heaven and feeling far away from God. He had fled across the Jordan uh, from his son who was trying to take over, trying to kill him really. And he was away from the his palace, away from Jerusalem, the centre of worship. And he's in the desert. And it feels it is a literal desert. But for him I think also it is a spiritual desert. He feels very, very far from God. He is depressed And he is exhausted. He is faint. Now I know that there are some people who, some Christians, who would want to argue, if you're a Christian and if you're filled with the Holy Spirit and if you're serving God, then that cannot be you. Why would God let you get depressed or discouraged? Why would bad things happen to good people? But if that's your view, then I'm afraid it is a very wrong view and it's a very shallow view and it's a view which lacks Christian maturity and it lacks an understanding of the Bible. David is not a coward. David is uh, a man after God's own heart and yet he is feeling overwhelmed. Absolutely overwhelmed. And sometimes... That is the experience of the Lord's people. Our circumstances are not great. And the worst part of that is when we feel as though we are actually far from God. Or God is far from us. So he cries. He cries as his heart grows faint. And if you are a Christian believer and you can identify with that experience, It is tremendously encouraging to know that somebody like King David could have that experience as well. I think sometimes we tend to think, you know, the people in the Bible, they were great heroes. Or maybe not just even the Bible, the great heroes of the faith. And we think, well, they weren't like us in that, or not, at least not like me. I struggle with this, I struggle with that. I remember when I was once, I did some research on Robert Murray McShane, and I was giving a a talk about it one time, and a man came up to me afterwards who had been a minister and had just retired early because of exhaustion and discouragement and depression. And he said to me, uh, David, it's like you've saved my life. And I said, why? (laughs) It's just a lecture on McShane. He said, but you told you've proved that McShane had depression, which he did two times. He suffered from very, very severe depression. One time he had to take six months off because he was suffering from depression. And in, when you read his diaries, there are periods of great blackness that are reflected in that. And he just said simply, just to know that somebody like McShane suffered from discouragement and exhaustion and depression was paradoxically so encouraging. For me. And I think that's where the psalms are so realistic, and where this there's such a beauty in this. From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Now, how is his need met? And it's for me this is fascinating. He doesn't actually take too long looking at himself. I think we often do that. I think we are discouraged and we look at our circumstances, we look at our own hearts and we say, if only I got this, if only I sorted this out, if only I understood this or whatever, if only I did this, then things would be okay. But what David does is he looks away from himself and he looks towards God and he takes on four particular images that we'll see as we go. The first in verses 2 and 3 is he, he, he looks to the rock and he looks to the tower. You have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. What's he, what he's doing here is he's looking for security. He's lost his home. In a sense, he's lost his family. He's lost his kingdom. That's what it looks like. And he's remembering what God has done in the past. You have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. And then this helps him. It's a security that lifts him above the threat. Lead me to the rock which is higher than I. And again, that's a, that's a wonderful image. It's a picture of A place of security that you can't reach, that you can't get to. And he's saying to God, take me to that rock. This is beyond Jerusalem. This is beyond his own strength. Take me to yourself. Now what I find just wonderful about this in the midst of the discouragement and in the midst of the despair is that as he looks at God, this is a prayer that expresses confidence in God you are my rock you are my tower you have been in the past and you will be again sometimes I think we make a mistake when we're discouraged and the mistake is this we look only at where we're at just now we look only at how we're feeling just now sometimes we need to back off and say well wait a minute things are not too good just now but I remember when and you remember the answered prayer from the past, and you remember the good times from the past, and you remember all these things. And it's not that you're looking pa- back just with, with, um, rosy a rosy eyed view. But it just, we shouldn't just be looking at our experience and our feeling here and now. We should look to what God has done in the past, and not just with us but also with other people. I find myself that it's a tremendous encouragement to read about different Christians in different periods of um, church history and reminding us how God is at work and what God has done. There's a a film coming out called Unbroken. I'm not sure if it's out yet or not, but uh, I would reckon, well, I haven't seen it, but I think I probably will recommend going and seeing it. Going by the book, the book Unbroken is almost certainly better than the, the film is going to be. But the story is amazing. I don't know how much Angelina Jolie has taken on the, the director of it, of the book. But it's a story of an Australian athlete, a kind of um, Australian Eric Liddell, who, without spoiling the plot too much, uh, he's shot down uh, in the Second World War by the Japanese and he goes into uh, a a small dinghy type boat and basically they're dying because there's there's no water. And he prayed, God, if you're there, send some rain and I will serve you. And um, again, I don't know if the film will reflect this, but the immediately rain came, immediately. And then he was rescued by the Japanese, which wasn't very helpful for him because he was then tortured and so on. But he gets through all of that. Later on in life, he's in the United States and he goes to a Billy Graham rally. And as he's there, he remembers his promise to God. And he, he repents and he believes and then as he does that, he hears rain falling on the stadium. And it just again reminded him of all of that. Now when you, you read his story, and it is, it is an absolutely uh, amazing story. And he served the Lord for many years until he died. And as I say, I hope the film does reflect that. It's an encouragement. And I think it's, that's why it's good for us to, to share together. And it's good for us to look at not just our own experience, but the experience of others. But above all, what we're doing is we're praying to the God who is our rock, the God who is our tower. Verses 4 and 5 I long to dwell in your tent forever. It's a prayer for fellowship, a prayer for unending fellowship based on an established relationship. You have, uh, and I long to. Dwell in your tent and take refuge in the shelter of your wings, for you have heard my vows, O God. God's tent is the tabernacle. We're reading a little bit about that in Exodus. So, Exodus 29 says this, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. You read these chapters in Exodus and an initial reading I think an impression from many people is it's very cold, it's very mechanical. But it's not because it's all a picture of imagery and an imagery of God desiring to be with his people, God desiring to dwell Amongst his people. The tower is one thing. Being in a castle, being in a tower is a fantastic thing. Being in a tent, you might think that is not nearly so secure. But it is if God is with you there. And David here is reflecting on the relationship that God brings us into the warmth of a loving, protective welcome. (coughs) A relationship. That is, entered into through these covenant vows. For you have heard my vows, O God. Vows of commitment and of relationship. Ephesians 1, the New Testament, I think, equivalent of this. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. The whole purpose of Jesus coming, the whole purpose of us sharing together, the whole purpose of us having communion, is that we can have communion with God, that we can have fellowship with God, that we can have a relationship with God. Sometimes we cheapen that. Sometimes we we use those words and those phrases without thinking of the implications and the tremendous depth involved. When you go through the New Testament letters, you'll often hear Paul especially using the words, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And that's because in the New Testament, the picture in the Old Testament is fulfilled in Christ. We don't have a literal temple or tabernacle, but we are now that tabernacle because we are in Christ and Christ dwells in us. So his prayer is first of all for security and his second prayer is for fellowship. And I think there are many of us here who can understand that prayer or those prayers because some of us feel very weak and very fragile and very insecure. And we cannot look to ourselves. We must look to Jesus And some of us, maybe like David, feel very far from God. I long to dwell in your tent forever. Our experience of God is that every now and then we seem to just get a wee taste. And then we get on with our lives. And things are pretty mundane. But you and I surely must know this. That we need the presence of God we need to take refuge in the shelter of God's wings. Just a couple of other things on, on this particular these particular two verses. The heritage of those who fear your name. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. What does that mean? Well, what is the heritage of those who fear God's name? It is everything. It is absolutely everything. It is all the promises of God that are in Christ Jesus. Yes and Amen. It's the heritage of God's people. Um, We were in the Jewish Museum in Sydney. Just an absolutely fascinating place uh, to be. And a real privilege to be there and to learn more about Judaism. And also, of course, about what happened to the Jews in the 20th century. But I was reminded when I was there of uh, Pascal's great argument, the French philosopher, mathematician, theologian, where he said that uh, the continued survival of the Jews is one of the great theistic proofs, one of the great proofs of God. God has not forsaken his people. And that's the Jewish people in the Old Testament. It is the those who follow Jesus Christ now in the new including those Jews like Paul and Peter and others who did so but we have a fantastic and a tremendous heritage in that sense but i think the heritage here is much broader and much wider and it's a heritage about the kingdom of god jesus in luke 13:34 Says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. I sometimes think that we have an impression of God that we are willing and he is unwilling, but that is not the picture. In both the Old and New Testament, I long to dwell in your tent forever, and God longs to have us be part of that. Third part of this prayer, verses six to seven, prays for the throne, the land. Now this is King David, he's longing for increased days, he's longing for many, many generations, his kingdom could be gone, his life could be gone, and this prayer seems to be a prayer that he would be king on the throne for a long time. His years, increase the days of the king's life, his years for many generations, well that's impossible. A generation when, you know, it's, it's like asking almost that he's going to live forever, Well I think that this is a prayer where David prayed something that he knew there was something better but he didn't really know what it was and I think when we pray our prayer is always answered more fully than we can ask because there was a king who was to come in the line of David who was to be the one enthroned in God's presence forever. Luke one thirty one, you will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And so Psalm sixty one ends up with a being a prayer for the king to come, King Jesus. It's a prayer for refuge. A prayer for shelter, a prayer for fellowship and warmth, and a prayer for the unending reign of Jesus. I love what the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, when it asks about how does Christ execute the office of a king, just neatly and succinctly says how Jesus is our king. Christ executes the office of a king in subduing us to himself. He calls us to himself in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. That's where the security is. That's where the fellowship is. It's found entirely in Jesus Christ. The heritage, just going to go back to this heritage a minute. The Jews were scattered to the ends of the earth, and through them, the gospel went as well. There was an extraordinary fulfillment in this psalm. I will ever sing praise to your name and fulfill my vows day after day. God answered this prayer of David in a way that David himself wouldn't directly see in his life but in a way that he could never have conceived of or imagined. That people in the real far-flung parts of the earth not across the jordan but people in the north most extreme north west of europe in scotland in this city would 3000 over 3000 years later be singing and hearing about this prayer because it was answered through jesus coming the vows I fulfill my vows day after day. Praise does lead to fulfillment. Praise, though, without serious and sustained moral commitment is unreal. That's why singing praise to God, that's why joining in worship and not responding in obedience and not responding in renewed commitment, that's why taking communion and, and part of that not being our renewed commitment renewal of our vows to follow Jesus Christ that's why it's unreal, it's not real praise, real praise is when we are so caught up in who God is that we recommit ourselves to him and that's why we pray for God's kingdom to come in our lives, so as we prepare to take communion, let's think about this Sam, you may feel somewhat insecure and shaken. You may feel very far from God. And you may long to see God's reign in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in your church, in your city, your country. Well, that comes through Jesus. It is a real comfort to us as we sit at the table to know that the king has come and that his kingdom will last forever. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful psalm, this song that was sung in a day of trouble for King David, and yet a song which speaks much more than just to his particular circumstances, a song which speaks to ours because it speaks of Jesus a song which describes our experience of being faint and weary and discouraged, a song that expresses great longing, and a song that tells us that you are the tower, the refuge, you are the king, and you have granted to us the heritage of those who fear your name. Lord, we ask forgiveness, For the amount of times that we have so looked on ourselves and to ourselves. That we forget that we are not the rock. We are not the tower. But you are. Lord, we ask forgiveness for the amount of time that we have been discouraged. Because we experience discouragement. And yet we forget that you are the one who upholds and keeps us in all our weakness. And in all our pains and all our sorrows. Lord, if there's anyone here who is overwhelmed by the waves, help them not to look at the waves, but instead help them to look to you. And we bless you, our God, that no matter how dark, no matter how weak, no matter how bitter the hatred that may be against your people and against you, yet you are the sovereign Lord. And you will reign, and you do reign. Lord, we ask that as we share together at your table, and as we take the symbols of the broken body of Christ and the poured out blood, that we would realize that these are not symbols of defeat, but symbols of a great and almighty victory, that in the weakness and in the degradation, And in the foolishness of the cross came an almighty and great liberation that the powers of darkness were defeated and that because of what Jesus did there is full forgiveness. There is freedom. There is eternal life. Help us to see and to understand and to know and to taste that you are good and the giver of all things.